0: You need indeed.
1: When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us.
2: Where would you rather be than right here, right now?
1: The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear.
2: Bills make me wanna jump! Jump! I think passion, energy,
1: the way he presents it, his message, or his view in, in that realm, you know. Uh, it's not just talking about, yeah, we want to win, that's what we're going to do, but, you know, he's presenting it, he's talking about my role, he's talking about our team, he's talking about individual players in a passionate way, with a lot of energy, and uh, ready to go, and hit the ground running, and, you know, being accountable, and disciplined, and, and doing the things the right way, the way that you want to do them. Um, that speaks to my heart so it's easy for me to get excited.
2: Welcome
3: everybody to another edition of the Rockpile Report podcast. I'm your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Geert. That's my producer Chris Krueger and that was Kyle Williams from buffalobills.com talking about Sean McDermott and the energies bringing to this Buffalo Bills franchise. Now, before we get started here, tonight, I've got to, I got something I got to I got to throw out there. The last, two, the last two podcasts we've put out, we've hosted WGR 550's Nate Geary and USA Today's Rob Quinn. And across those two shows, we've averaged 394 downloads. I mean, that's incredible. What that means is that we're reaching out to a bigger segment of the audience, people who've never heard our shows before. For all of you newcomers, thank you for tuning in. Hopefully, you continue to follow us. I, I have a feeling this season's going to be a lot of fun. Tonight, joining us is is the host of the Huddle TV
4: show, Ryan Lasel Ryan, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, guys. Happy to talk Bills with you. How how is everybody doing over there? Not too, able to make it out tonight.
3: Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. Now, for those of you who may not know the Huddle, I know it seems like a new thing for you. Formerly the Bills Fanatics TV show. And Ryan, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your show, what network it airs on, and where people could find it.
4: Yeah, so um, you know I appreciate the plug. We're, we're on the Rock Sports Network. Um, also available in Rochester on cable TV. G D. I'm sorry. W B G T TV. That's always a mouthful to say. It uh, even worse when I'm at training camp trying to tell the guys uh, that at the parking uh, garages and stuff <laughs> where, where I'm from, and, and they're like, "What?" So um, yeah, so we're excited to to be on TV again this year. Um, sponsored by Thurman's 34 Rush over at Batavia Downs, which is awesome. Um, you know, and, and it's a great opportunity for us. We kind of built it from a lesser version of what you guys are currently doing, and, uh, you know, just Icy and I, my partner, we're just a couple of schmucks that like talking bills, and we kind of fell into a great situation, and uh, Gary, who, who our producer is, um, you know, did some great things for us, and um, we're really happy with the direction that things are going this season, and uh, looking forward to bigger things to come. We've got some great stuff in the pipeline, and, uh, you know, I know we're going to talk a little bit more about some of that stuff with you guys later tonight, and uh, partnering with you guys on some stuff, partnering with some other guys with some stuff, and uh, we're pretty excited about the direction that we've got the the huddle going uh, now that we've kind of split off from the Bills Fanatics and we're trying to do our own thing here.
3: Man, I'll tell you, I just I I know I've been on the Bills Fanatics TV show with you guys, and I've done I've been on air with you guys. You and I see know your shit, and that's one of the things that makes it appealing to work with you guys, and that's why I've got you here tonight. And with no further ado, we are going to get right into this week's Buffalo Bills news update. Sean McDermott, dining with 1990s greats, is it legit or is it a PR stunt? Now, everyone out there is familiar with Rex Ryan's first order of business here in Buffalo. He came in, he signed his contract, and then he sat down with Jim Kelly and Thurman Thomas at the Big Tree Inn. Fans were everywhere. People were going crazy for it. There was chicken wings flying around, beers were getting spilled everywhere, and it made for some great headlines, some photo ops, and a ton of press. And the team went on to flop the next two seasons in a row. So, given that, I can understand why some people in the media have pegged Sean McDermott's latest move, which is to gather some of the greatest Bills to ever play football, you know, from the Super Bowl area. You know, you're talking Jim Kelly, Daryl Talley, Cornelius Bennett, uh, Thurman Thomas, got them all together and took them all out to dinner as nothing more than a PR stunt. But when you hear those guys talk about it, not even so much the team, not the, not the team's news outlets, but when you hear the players talk about it, it sounds much, much different from what Rex brought here when he was first signed. I mean, first and foremost, it was held in a more private setting, kind of reserved. They didn't tell anyone that they were doing it ahead of time to attract the press. It wasn't in a bar full of zealous Bills fans snapping selfies with Rex Ryan. And then I guess my biggest point is that rather than talk about how he was going to make the Bills great, by all accounts, McDermott was full of questions. He he gathered them all to try to learn from them. You talked to both McDermott and Jim Kelly. He left McDermott left that dinner with over a page and a half of notes, just notes that he took from listening to these players tell stories and talk about what makes Buffalo great and what made their teams successful. I mean, I think in the end. I personally feel like it's a savvy move by a coach who's hoping that his very first foray into being an NFL head coach is a successful one. I and mean, Ryan, what's your
4: take on this? Yeah, I think uh, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's, it's It's the direction that McDermott took things as opposed to the direction that Rex Ryan took it. Um, to me, when Rex Ryan did it, it came out very very much as, look at me, look what I'm doing, and um you know, I'm reaching out to to the old generation and you know, uh, it's all about me. We're gonna take it. We're gonna take photos. We're gonna take it someplace public. We're gonna tell everyone where we're going. Whereas McDermott, it's not about him. It's about you know truly taking away information from these guys who, really by all accounts, were the last successful you know generation of Bills that have come through this stadium, and that's a saying a lot for a team that's you know obviously 17 years deep in a playoff drought. But this is the last team that really did anything of note for the Buffalo Bills when you talk about guys like you know, Tally and, and Bennett and Kelly and, um, you know, McDermott wasn't there to chew their ears off. He wasn't there to make this a spectacle. He was there to learn. And, and by all accounts, everything he's done since coming to Buffalo has been to learn. Um, you know, so I just think the direction that he took it was encouraging for me as a, as a, not just a, a member of the media, but a Bill's fan. Uh, it was encouraging because I, a lot of what I saw in Rex Ryan the first season, um, I took as, oh, that's just Rex being Rex. Um, I, don't, I don't know McDermott. I don't know a lot about him other than just studying his scheme. But if this is the guy he is, I'm all on board with that because it's, it's about time. It's about time for a culture change, I think, uh, in Buffalo.
3: I think primarily it just speaks to the attention to detail. I mean, that's what sold Doug Whaley and the Pagulas on Sean McDermott was his attention to detail. So I, I'm I'm encouraged by the fact that he doesn't want, he's not reaching out to these guys as a way to be like, hey, look, I want to meet you guys and we can all talk about how awesome we think we are. Instead, he came there to learn. Just, hey, what was it that made you guys so special that you found a way to get to four Super Bowls? What was it that you had amongst yourselves? You know, what was it about the captaincy of the team? What was it that dictated who filled those leadership roles? That's... Huge, and I think it's a big indictment of who Sean McDermott really is.
1: I wasn't really – I'm, like, indifferent on this. All right, you went to dinner, all right? You know, we've been out of the playoffs for 17 years. We had coaches to come in with no experience, Greg Williams, uh, Mike Malarkey, and then it was, well, give me some coaches with some head coaching experience. Chain Gailey, Dick Geron, still failed. Rex Ryan, still failed. Just put some on the field that I can watch and – Win, please. That's all I
3: want. <laughs> it's a lot easier said. Than
1: all done, I right. want is to drink legally and watch the Bills win a playoff game.
3: <laughs> well, we might have a while to wait for that, but I'll tell you, I, I, just, I, I'm getting a good feeling about this. I mean, I've tried. I'm never. I wasn't skeptical about it from day one, but I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm feeling a little bit better about it. Maybe that's just me drinking the Kool Aid, Ryan. Where do you sit on the fence here?
4: I feel better about the direction that this team is going than I did when they hired Rex Ryan. Um, when when they brought in Rex Ryan, I kind of had a, it's not broke, so what are we trying to fix here type of thing. I mean, you know, they had just gone under Doug Marone 9-7. and seven. You know, They had a top-three defense. Um, by all accounts, the offense was improving as the season went on. We kind of felt like that team was a quarterback away. Um, Rex Ryan came in we're going to build a bully, you know, if it's not broke, I'm not going to try to fix it, and he tried to fix it and wound up running it into the ground and absolutely ruining it. So, McDermott's coming in, and I think he's been very forthright in in the the state of this team, where it is, what he thinks he needs to do. He's brought in guys by all accounts, and, and Chris brought up a good point, you know, guys with coaching, head coaching experience, McDermott doesn't have that, but you know who does? The guys on his staff, and I think that's going to go a long way with the players, I think it's going to go a long way. Certainly with the fans, and it's going to buy him some time in Buffalo because, you know, I don't know if this team's ready to win right away. Um, but I think this is a team where he's starting in the right direction to build the mentality of a winner. The things that he's changed in the locker room, the things that he's changed in, you know, the field house, things like that are, you know, we're not, we we haven't earned anything yet. It's been 17 years since we've been in the playoffs. You guys haven't earned anything, so. Let's go out and earn it and and start from there. And I think that's a great mentality to have for a new head coach and really a new roster. This is going to be a, a pretty much a, a pretty new roster for the most part um, when the season gets going.
3: Speaking of new rosters, let's talk about this week's free agency update for the Buffalo Bills.
2: You are my
3: the pre-draft process is ramping up, but the Bills are still kicking the tires around the free agency market. And Doug Whaley is doing the equivalent of panning for gold. I mean, he's scouring the market to find cheap labor with upside to try to flesh out what is eventually going to be this 90-man roster that he takes to camp. This past week, the Bills added a slew of new players with some notable names that I'd say Bills fans should probably keep an eye on as we head into the offseason program. I mean, they can't all be winners, but the first name that jumped out to me, and for obvious reasons, Bradley Silvey, defensive back out of Alabama. To me, that's the most intriguing signing out of the entire group. I watch a ton of Alabama football, and I'm familiar with who Sylvie is and how he plays the game. I mean, he almost single-handedly sealed the Iron Bowl victory for us in 2015. That game was neck and neck into the fourth quarter. We, We had multiple cornerbacks rotate in because of an early injury who just struggled and struggled and struggled, and finally in the fourth quarter, late third, they put in Bradley Sylvie. He finished that game with multiple pass defenses deep because that's how that's how Auburn was beating us. He was playing these deep balls in the air beautifully. It was like he you watched him play, and you're like, why isn't this guy a number one cornerback? Now, you look back at it, he's a converted wide receiver coming out of high school. He was a wide receiver, came to Alabama, couldn't stick because there was too much talent ahead of him in the pipeline. Switched to cornerback and found himself starting games down the stretch for Alabama in the season. He was probably going to be a late round draft pick, mid to late round draft pick in the 2016 draft. Then he goes and tears his Achilles during a warm up drill at his pro day, kind of like what we just saw happen to Sidney Jones. Yeah, one of the, I mean I just he's not the most physically imposing player at six feet tall, maybe 190 pounds, but he ran a four four three before he tore you know before tearing his Achilles the guy's got speed and he's got a little bit of size to him and he played in a prestigious program i think bringing him in here it's going to be interesting to, and he's got some punt and kick return ability i'd like to see him come in here into camp and at least compete for if not a practice squad spot maybe even one of those special team roles on the 53 man roster i mean do you know anything about this guy ryan do you do you have anything you want to throw in? Yeah,
4: I mean, I think that he definitely was uh, on his way to being a productive player at Alabama. And I think, you know, got on the field late, as you mentioned, and, and unfortunately gets hurt in, you know, at his pro day. He's a guy that I think he may stick around on, you know, on the practice squad. I mean, you saw the Bills kept extra secondary guys last season on the practice squad or I'm sorry, on, on the, the, the roster because of their special teams ability. And if he can bring that, I mean, there's always a spot on, on an NFL team for guys that can play well in um, you know, in, in special teams, whether it's punt coverage, whether it's kickoff coverage. Um, if you can do it, the, the, they'll find a, a way for you to stick around, especially if you're at a need position, which D-back is certainly a need position for the Buffalo Bills right now. They've got two guys that you can probably pencil in as players, and outside of that, it's, it's a lot of question marks at the corner position.
3: See, I don't know, because I remember watching the um – Ooh, I remember watching the last game of the season against the New York Jets, and having a friend of mine named Reed Ferguson tell me that, "Hey, you better keep an eye on this guy, um, Roberson. Roberson at playing cornerback. Marcus Roberson is going to surprise some people today because he was getting us because of they were benching people because of injury. They were playing some of the younger players, and I remember watching this kid come off the practice squad." And he looked like it's he looked like a quality NFL player, so maybe Sylvie's another one of these guys who needs some seasoning on the practice squad for a year or two. But I, I, just from what I watched him play at Alabama, I absolutely think that he has the chops to play in some capacity at the NFL level. So I'm glad that we brought him in.
1: At six feet one ninety, I assume he's not going to be playing outside more no, inside. Be playing more inside. Okay, today. but. My big worry in the division is Gronk. And I want want to be able to shut down Gronk.
3: You can't live afraid of a guy who only plays a handful of games a year.
1: That's two wins. I want to beat the Patriots. Yeah, well. Sometime
3: other than once. Well, then wait for Brady to retire. (laughs) The next guy on my list is Jake Metz, defensive end. Hello. I've never heard of you before. Metz is an odd case. Undrafted out of Villanova. Finished his career, though, with 55 tackles for a loss and 30 and a half sacks over four seasons. I mean, that's productivity right there. It, multiple teams brought him in for workouts, but he couldn't land a contract with any one of them. The guy goes, Philadelphia brings him in for a training camp, kind of like the uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia where everyone's trying out to make the team. And he loses. You know, he loses out. He doesn't make it. So he signs with the Philadelphia Soul in John, the AFL. John Bon Jovi? <laughs> no. Jo- didn't he own the team? Yes. Oh, <laughs> we're halfway there. So, Living in the AFL. So, in his second season in the AFL, Jake Metz won the AFL Defensive Player of the, Player of the Year Award and League All-Pro Distinction. He got a tryout with the Eagles, who cut him again. <laughs> then he packed his bags and went to play in China's version of the AFL and his team lost by one point in the championship game last year. He could have been one of the first people in history to win two football championships on two different continents. Ultimately, I don't know what to think about Jake Metz. I mean, he, he, he seems like a tryhard. You know, he, he's a tweener, classic guy who doesn't have the best metrics. I mean, he ran a four nine nine forty, and his three-cone drill was a 7.31, which isn't exceptional for a D-end especially a smaller guy like that, you'd expect him to be faster because he's only 265 pounds. But his he had production. You can't argue with that. So, Ryan, I guess i got to ask you, would you base a guy who, you know, a guy's upside, if you're bringing a guy into camp to play defensive end for a new scheme, you know, you, you basically built your team around a 3-4 concept. You got rid of a lot of players. You brought in guys who you thought would fit that scheme, and now that scheme's no longer in play if you're trying to flesh out this roster and you're bringing in every defensive end, you can find just to compete, just to throw bodies at the position and see what sticks. Is this guy a lost cause? Or do you think that there's maybe some merit to bringing him into camp?
4: Uh, I mean, with as much as Sean McDermott knows about the defense and as much as Leslie Frazier knows about defense, I, I don't know that they're bringing guys in on the defensive side of the football that are lost causes. I think they must see something in Mets that they like. Um, You know, I don't know anything about him, so I'm not going to pretend that I do. I know he's 6'6", 6'7", 260-ish, so, you know, ran a four nine nine, almost a 5 flat at his pro day, so, I mean, he doesn't, nothing that I look at from him jumps out to me, Um, but there's been good players that have come out of the AFL, so I, you know, I I don't want to hold anything against him. He won AFL Defensive Lineman of the Year, and... You know, it's, it's an accomplishment in and of itself. It's certainly something that a lot of guys couldn't do. So, um, you know, and again, McDermott and Frazier, they know what they're doing. I, I'm going to trust with what they think, and if they think he's got something, even if they think he's going to give their offensive line a good look in, in, in camp, um, if that's all he brings to this team, it's just going to make things better. So I, you know, I, I don't have any issue whatsoever, especially when you're at a roster of about 61 and you need to be at 90 um, in the next month or so. Um, you know, I th- think it's a, it's a decent pickup, and there's it's a, it's a no-lose situation for them, really.
3: You, you, you make a point. You're signing guys at this point just to try to flesh out your roster. You're not finding – at this point in free agency, you're not finding top-tier players. You're panning for gold. It's what you're yeah. doing. You're sifting through everything else, trying to hope that maybe you get lucky, or at worst, you fill a spot for a rotation on defense for your training camp team. That eventually but, you'll end up having to cut.
4: But this is but this is when Doug Whaley and his team has been successful over the last three seasons too. Though let's not forget he, he's very good at bringing in guys who, for whatever reason, other teams overlook, and um, they turn into they turn into guys that are productive. I mean, you look even even a guy I bring up a lot Eric Stryker from last season he was a guy who didn't make the team by all accounts shouldn't have made the team I mean at camp I didn't see anything special from him but he gave really good looks to that offensive line in individual drills and individual workouts he was very quick he was a different dimension that they didn't have on the team at that time Mm -hmm. you know and and by all accounts he made that team that offensive line certainly better so I think Doug Whaley's been successful and you know, right now, unless it's the draft, I don't really question too much that Doug Whaley does.
3: Well, and that moves me on to Ian sayow Seau, Junior sayow's son?
4: <clears throat> Nephew. Nephew.
3: Just watch Hard Knocks from last year. Well, and that was going to be my point. So Ian sayow has been signed by the Buffalo Bills. Now, he has the distinction of having already undergone a training camp under the our current defensive line coach, Mike Waffle. And if anyone needs to know anything about Mike Waffle, just go to YouTube and look it up. The guy is explosive. He doesn't hesitate to tell players what he wants. I have no doubt in my mind that this kid wouldn't be here if Mike Waffle didn't sign off on it. I mean, is that is that fair, Ryan? I mean, you wouldn't if you're the D-line coach who saw this kid last season. You'd ask the D-line coach, "Hey, do you want this kid back? Do you see anything in him? Do you think he might be able to give us anything before bringing him back here to Buffalo?" Correct?
4: Yeah, especially because I don't think he made it to the 75 man cutdown last season. So that was two preseason games they got to see, and he maybe, I mean, what did he get? Maybe 30 snaps between the two games. So it it's had to be strictly off of what Waffle had to say at this uh, point.
3: Everything Everett said, they cut him in September, which means that they oh, cut him.
4: so he made it through the yeah, 75. He made man. it
3: through the 75 man cuts. He was I one of the last knocks, round of I cuts. I watched not remember
2: when they let him go. He was but. one of
3: the last round of cuts, which is interesting, and I feel I feel like that's the reason he's here. Maybe Mike Waffle wants to see
4: a little bit more of this kid. It's interesting on that defensive line, too, that he made it that far. That, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a that's a very good front seven in Los Angeles. It's about the only thing that they have that's good, as opposed to, aside from Gurley. So it, it, that is surprising and, and definitely something to keep an eye on as camp goes on.
3: And then one of the biggest, I guess, I guess biggest, quote-unquote, I have to put it in quotes because I don't know what, I mean, none of these signings are huge or earth-shattering, but the Buffalo Bills have signed T.J. Yates at quarterback. Now, it's likely going to be the most notable name you'll see added between now and April 27th. He's a player with experience in Rick Dennison's offense. Okay, Just looking at this from a base level. And he has experience at the NFL level. A ton of experience. So that automatically puts him ahead of whoever that guy we signed as our fourth quarterback was. And Cardale Jones. I feel like he immediately slots in as our number two quarterback. He also carries the distinction of having more playoff game appearances than pretty much everyone on our roster. I mean, is that, is that fair?
4: Well, it has to be, right? <laughs> I mean, aside from Tyrod. I mean, Tyrod, but, but you can't count his playoff experience considering he just stood there and held the clipboard for, for four games and, and got a Super Bowl ring for it.
3: Absolutely. Now, my thing about Yates is that he's not a world beater at the quarterback position. I mean, it that that is evidenced by the fact that he's still out there on the free agent market this late into the off season,
4: waiting for that Romo uh, chip to fall. Right, right. So right. They say all these quarterbacks still out there.
3: Yeah, apparently everyone was waiting to see what would happen to Romo. I just think that it's a it's a soft market for quarterbacks. Same way it's a soft market for running backs. That's why Adrian Peterson still doesn't have a job. I mean, ultimately. I'm assuming, okay, now this is it, given his familiarity with the offensive scheme, Yates' experience against NFL defenses, and also what I'm assuming is a very small price tag, you could do a lot worse for a backup quarterback than TJ Yates.
4: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Yates is, out of the available quarterbacks that were on the market, I I thought it was Yates and McGloin, I thought were probably the two best options to bring into Buffalo. Um, I mean Yates he's he's above 500 as a starter he's you know by all accounts a, a consummate professional and you, you certainly can do worse in a situation where Tyrod Taylor goes down and you need a guy to step to step in he knows the offense and he's you know at this point not EJ Manuel so I think Bill's <laughs> fans have to be happy with him as your backup
3: absolutely I mean people might make a big deal out of the Bills drafting a quarterback early this year but I can't see a universe in which we carry four quarterbacks in the roster, and I just don't see. I don't see Jones. Unless we're the Jets. I don't see Jones beating out Yates for the backup job, but I also don't see Whaley cutting Jones now. This tells me, and maybe I'm crazy, this tells me that going into the NFL draft, I don't see a quarterback. I don't. If we have a backup quarterback in place, and we have Cardell Jones still in the roster, we're not going to carry four, we're not going to cut Cardell after just drafting him so what are we doing i mean i I,
4: yeah, I, t- I don't know that cutting cardell is not out of the out of the equation
3: oh everyone's reading the tea leaves differently as much as i think that that might dictate what we do in the draft there's something else i've been looking at over the course of the last week or two that's really kind of caught my eye and that brings us to this week's NFL draft update pre-draft visits and what they say about the bills draft strategy now, none of us really have an idea as to what the Bills are going to do at number 10. I mean, they've done a pretty good job throughout the first couple of weeks of free agency of addressing some of their major needs. You know, they brought in a number 2, a guy that they say could be a number 2 wide receiver, Andre Holmes. They made a point of re-signing Lorenzo Alexander to play that strong side linebacker role. So, I you know the the things, you know, we don't have that number 1 cornerback yet on the roster. <clears throat> or maybe we do. That's one of the things. You talk to them, and they make it sound as if they've they feel that they've done enough to kind of round out this roster. It seems like they're doing what Doug Whaley likes to do: is to leave himself open to take best player available. Every time he drafts, he likes to try to bring in during this pre free agency period enough guys to flesh out the roster. You know, they talked about Ramon Humber possibly being in the mix for a starting job on defense. As much as I hate that idea. They're doing everything they can to throw bodies at the positions where they need it so that if the draft doesn't fall their way, they're not pigeonholed into taking what they need to take, which is smart. But I think something that is more telling about the Bills draft strategy than that is that anyone who follows the Bills knows that during the pre-draft process, we have a track record of drafting the guys that we meet with prior to the draft. Now, here's a list of who they've met with with so far. First off, we're going to start off with combine interviews. They met with Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, Elvin Kamara, running back out of Tennessee, Mm -hmm. Mitch Trubisky. Mitchell. Mitch. He's going to be Mitch until he wins a football game in the NFL. Mitch Trubisky, quarterback out of UNC. Jabril Peppers, strong safety out of Michigan. Solomon Thomas, defensive end out of Stanford. And Mike Williams, wide receiver out of Clemson. And that's all well and good. You know, it's the combine. Your job is to get down there, put boots on the ground, and talk to some of these kids. Then I look at the list of pre-draft visits and private workouts, and that's where things really get interesting for me. We have four quarterbacks appearing on this list. Nathan Peterman, Davis Webb, Patrick Mahomes, <clears throat> and Mitch Trubisky.
4: Deshaun Kaiser. They Deshaun Kaiser.
3: That's true. Over the weekend, Deshaun Kaiser. So now you've got these quarterbacks on here. At wide receiver, the only wide receiver we've worked out is Chad Williams out of Grambling. Grover Stewart, defensive end out of Albany State. Derek Rivers, defensive end out of Youngtown State. Whenever, you're, whenever you start talking about state in a college name and you're talking about a football player, Odds are no one in the room knows who the hell he is. Tim Williams, defensive end out of Alabama. Cam Robinson, tackle out of Alabama. Brad Seaton, offensive tackle out of Villanova. At cornerback, Nate Hairston out of Temple and Tease Tabor out of Florida. And Tedrick Thompson at free safety out of Colorado. Now, I know it's early, Lacell. I know it is. And they haven't fleshed out all of their interviews and pre-draft visits yet. But there's a few things that I found interesting about who they have brought in so far, and I think more appropriately, who they haven't brought in. First and foremost, for as deep as this draft is in safety talent, they haven't had a formal meeting with any of the players expected to go in the first and second round. I'm talking, I understand if you don't think Malik Hooker or you know, I'm sorry, Malik Hooker or Jamal Adams is going to fall to you. I get that. You're not going to bother meeting with those guys because they're probably not going to be there. But wouldn't you want to meet with a Buda Baker or what's his name, Marcus Williams or whoever it is out of uh, Utah. The kid from Utah. Marcus Williams. Marcus, Marcus Williams. May out of Florida. Marcus May out of Florida. There's, there's a number of kids out there who play that safety position well that could be in there into the second round who could be available. The fact that you haven't met with them is surprising considering our lack of depth at that position and how deep it is in this draft.
4: What do you think that's about? Well, I mean, it's 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 one of two things. It's either they're not planning on drafting a safety, which I, I'd be surprised, or they feel like they've seen all they need to see on these guys. And, you know, I mean, that's the thing about these top-tier type of guys is you, you know what you're getting in them. So, um, you know, and the tape tells a lot. So maybe they don't feel like they need to... Uh, maybe they don't feel like they need to take a guy or in the in the first or even meet with him in the first if uh, if that's not the not an option. God, I'll
3: tell you this, I would trade my left nut for Buda Baker. You all heard yeah, this. I, I, like I would trade my left testicle for Buda Baker on this Bills football team. Is that even a first round projection? No, he's not. We could snag him in the second round if he drops down there. He is going to, he's a gamer. The kid gets turnovers, he's got a nose. So, uh, Unlike Jabril Peppers, he's got a nose for the football. And even though he's not the biggest safety in the world, he plays tough. And that is what you need. I mean, you talk about guys like Bob Sanders. Bob Sanders is a guy who wasn't the biggest dude in the world, but he he could hit. And he had a nose for the football. And that's what made his name in the NFL. And those defenses he played on were different because he was there. I think that they really need to... I feel like this is mind-boggling to me if there's no safeties on this list. And based on our poll last week, point number two, we found that a large percentage of our listeners here feel that the Buffalo Bills need to take need, I'm not even talking should want, but need to take the best wide receiver available with the 10th overall pick. Whether it's Mike Williams, Corey Davis, John Ross, whoever it is, we need another receiver on this team. So it's strange to me that we've only brought in one wide receiver for a formal visit. I mean, don't get me wrong. Chad Williams isn't a slouch. He was one of the biggest standouts this year at the at the Senior Bowl. But at the same time, I just I, I feel like it's it's weird that we for something that we as fans all consider to be a dire need for the Buffalo Bills, we haven't met with any of the prospects pegged to go in the first two rounds of the draft.
4: I mean, am I alone in thinking that that's weird? Um, I, I mean, I I guess weird is a. Uh... I guess that's not the word I would probably use is weird, but um, I think it's curious because I don't, I, I think that wide receivers are a bigger need than bringing one in for a pre-draft visit is kind of letting you think that uh, letting you think it is, um, you know, but again, I think it points to they're not going to draft a wide receiver in the first round. I've been pretty, I've been pretty on that train for quite some time over the last two months or so. I, do, I just don't think they're going to go that direction in the first round.
3: That's why you're a smart man. (laughs) I'll tell you this. If they draft O.J. Howard, God knows what I'm liable to do, but I'm sure Chris is going to tell you all about it in the morning. Flipping tables? I don't even know. I don't know. I don't know what I'm capable of at that point. Number three on my list of observations, from the just thoughts and takeaways from this pre-draft visit list. For all of the press that the Bills are getting by national outlets in regards to drafting a quarterback, specifically Deshaun Watson, Mahomes and Trubisky are the only quarterbacks that they've met with more than once. I mean, that has to carry some kind of a weight, right? So then that makes me question, where the hell are these reports that we're in love, quote unquote, with Deshaun Watson coming from? You'd think that if they were in love with the kid, they would have gone to see him. They would have visited him. They would have had him in for a visit, whatever the case may be. So I'm a little surprised that all of these national outlets keep reporting that we are in love with this prospect, and yet we have yet to meet with him.
1: We can't take a quarterback just to take a quarterback. You sign Yates, wait till 18 to take one that's good.
3: No, Lace, do you have an opinion on this?
4: Uh, I I was on the train of they're not going to take a quarterback in the first round, but I'm slowly jumping on the train of they very well may take a quarterback in the first round. I mean, by all accounts, they were trying to keep that visit with Travisky secret until the Carolina coach tweeted out a picture of him, McDermott, and uh, Pagula. So why do they want to keep it a secret? If it's a smokescreen and they're not planning on taking him, trying to entice somebody to trade up, uh, they're doing a pretty bad job of it by trying to keep it as secret as possible. So, I don't know. I mean, Trubisky really, if you look at that list of pre-draft visits, who else is a viable option at 10? Trubisky might be the only one. So, I don't know. I, I don't know what to think of of their pre-draft visits at this point, especially at the quarterback position.
3: And then the other thing that I noticed, you know, we were talking about how some of these guys, when, when you hear State in the last name of a guy's eye, uh, College, it's probably not, he's probably not playing for the most prestigious program. A lot of the names in that list are day two or day three picks. Few of them are top end talent. I mean, T's Tabor. Okay, he's a first round pick. I can count one, two, three, four, maybe five of these guys who are qualified as first round draft picks. But you're talking about more than a dozen visits. I feel like that in and of itself, the fact that they're kicking the tires on so many late-round to mid-round prospects means that in the later rounds of this draft, even if they can't trade out of the first round. Now, I, for all of you out there who may not know this, the Bills being in 10th really hampers their ability to trade back in the draft. It would be ideal for our team, but it won't happen because the 10th pick is the last cutoff point Because the new system of signing a – you know, when you draft a rookie player and then you sign him to that fifth-year option that the team has over any first-round draft pick, the 10th pick is a huge jump up from the 11th pick. The 11th pick in the draft is considered Tier 2 as far as the cost of that fifth-year option. Most teams don't want to trade up to pick 10 – If they think that their guy might fall to them at pick 11, so they'll trade. They're more apt to trade to pick 11 than they are to trade up and just pay that all of that extra money in the event that they want to keep this guy. It's what it comes down to is economics, and sadly, the Bills are in a very bad spot for that. So trading under that first round pick just doesn't seem like it's in the cards. But our later round picks, if we trade back in the second round, back in the third round. There could be extra late picks in this draft to be had, and I feel like that's what a lot of this, a lot of these visits have almost kind of centered on guys who fit that mold.
4: I mean, am I crazy? No, I mean th- this. This is a very deep draft, and the the problem with the Bills at ten is you made a good point. That's a difficult spot to trade out of. I think it's only been. It's in the article that I wrote with the guys over at Hashtag Sports Paul and Mario, but I think Paul calls it out that it's only been traded out of once in the last five or six years. So it's, it's just not a mobile spot, but this draft isn't top-heavy. There's not a ton of like can't-miss talent at the top like there tends to be, but there's a lot of talent deep, especially at positions like safety at – wide receiver at corner at uh, linebacker positions that are difficult to find in the draft usually mm-hmm. so I think there's definitely a lot of collateral that can be gained by trading in the second in the third maybe even you know trying to get back into the fourth and then trading back again so you know I think that's a good point that you bring up it's not the first round trade it's the second third fourth fifth round trade that so you got to look for for the bills
3: absolutely
4: couldn't you
1: call Cleveland you're at 10. You call Cleveland and go, hey, I'm taking trubisky. Do you want him? Can we work something out? Is that am I, I feel cra- like
3: I feel like the days of the new you know the the chargers drafting Eli man Eli Manning and him forcing his way to the New York Giants via trade. I feel like those though that, that was an isolated incident that will never occur again. Well, I'm saying the bills call this isn't the NBA draft. I know that the <laughs> NBA does that all the time. A team will draft a guy, and then five minutes later you hear he's been traded to somebody. That doesn't happen here. Not in the NFL draft. These GMs have their jobs on the line, and they know that they have to bring in talent. They're not going to gamble that they can trade this guy because what happens if that trade breaks down? They happen all the time. I'm just saying
1: you call the Browns and go, hey, we're going to take Trubisky here. Are you in that much of a need for him to jump up two spots to get him? Am I crazy
3: to think that? You're not that? crazy, but you're, you're crazy. So we're going to switch gears here, folks. That's a lot of draft talk. We're going to kind of change gears here for the rest of the show. And one of the last things I want to talk about here is uh, facelift, you know, facelift for one Bill's Drive. Sean McDermott making his mark on this team. He really is kind of trying to change the culture around the team. And you heard Kyle Williams talk about it in our intro. That comes down to him changing some of the logos. I mean, I know every coach for the last, I think, three or four or five seasons has had their own lingo that they like to throw around. It seems like now Sean McDermott has been throwing around playoff caliber and earning the right to win. Those logos have somehow found themselves plastered all over the the training facilities, the the locker rooms, the players' T-shirts. I mean... I don't know. Do you think he's going far enough to make a culture change? I mean, just changing a coat of paint or two isn't going to do it, Ryan. What do you think it's going to really take for him to get through to some of these players who have been here through multiple regime changes?
4: I think it's it's finding a way to sell it to these guys. I mean, listen, these guys are professionals. They're getting paid to, to play. They're getting paid to come to work every day. But you've got to give them a reason to come to work. I mean, I, I think anyone who works can can... can kind of empathize with that a little bit right i mean i'm not going to show up to work if i don't enjoy doing it i'm gonna find another place to, to go you know and and you know maybe it's not that easy in the nfl but it's a lot easier to come to work when you enjoy doing what you're doing so if he can sell this concept if he can spin this as hey this is the best for the team and this is an opportunity to win and they start to see that on the field that they're improving i think it's going to go a long way and i think they they certainly will start to buy into it a little bit more.
3: Well, who better than to tell us what the energy like is in the room down there during practice than the Buffalo Bills' own Reed Ferguson? Roommate. Can we turn our beds into bunk beds? No swearing. Ah! Oh,
1: God darn it, the heck? Shoot. Long snapper, Reed Ferguson. Buffalo's
0: got a spirit talking proud, talking proud. It's not, and <laughs> talking proud, <laughs> talking <proud. laughs> Ah!
3: <laughs> Reed Ferguson in studio with us, folks. Reed, how are you doing tonight?
2: Doing great. Thanks for having me.
3: (laughs) Anytime, brother. Anytime. So, I I mean, for those of you who don't know, Reed Ferguson right now is the only long snapper currently signed to the Buffalo Bills roster. And, Reed, we got to spend a lot of time with you last season, and so now I've just got some questions for you. First and foremost, we're going to start off with your first offseason away from Buffalo. Now, how was that offseason different from college? I mean, I understand that that was really your first one, I guess second one. But, the, you know, the last offseason was full of the whole pre-draft process and finding out where you were going to get signed, where you were going to go. And every season after, preceding that, you were just free. You know, you were, you were free after the football season was over, but you were still on campus with your teammates going to school You know, taking classes and things of that nature. So now, at the the end of the season, you go home to your family and you just have nothing but free time on your hands. What's that like? What does that feel like, being out of that collegiate system?
2: Uh, Yeah, it is a little different. uh, Going to what you said, uh, in terms of being in college, you know, those springtime, you know, the spring months, January, after the season through uh, pretty much the end of the semester before summer start, you know, summer workout start, you're in school, you know, you know, along with spring practice, but a lot of the time you're in school just doing doing workouts every day, you know, four or five days a week, uh, depending on, you know, where, where you wherever you play. But, um, you know, I think that's probably the biggest difference is just probably not being in school, and I haven't been in school, you know, for a good while now, um, probably two years, I guess. But uh, yeah, last so last spring I was doing a lot of the combine training, mm-hmm. training for the draft. You know, the you know, getting getting my body ready, mentally, physically, emotionally. You know, kind of the whole nine yards. But um, one big thing, <clears throat> kind of that uh, the coaches stressed to us last year uh, before we kind of had our offseason uh, was for the rookies. Um, you know, to really focus on staying strong and keeping up with your workouts. Uh, you know, don't get lazy with anything because there's been plenty of examples where guys have, uh, you know, played their rookie year and sp- spent three months of offseason, <clears throat> excuse me, before they come back, you know, to reunite with the team in April, whenever that may be, and they're overweight, out of shape, mm-hmm. you know, you name it. So... That was, you know, a really big thing that I tried to focus on this offseason was staying in shape, keeping up with my workouts that the team gave us to do, uh, you know, at home because they can't contact us in the offseason. So uh, that, that was that was a big thing that I really focused on was, uh, you know, was working out as well as um, keeping up with my snapping, too. Yeah. Nice.
3: So I got to ask you, as far as the city of Buffalo goes, what was the regional food item that you missed the most? If you had to pick one thing that you ate here most frequently, what was it that you missed?
2: Oh, man. Um, Probably anything from Wegmans. (laughs) (laughs) Guys,
3: Reed came here last year and was just, like, like he was kind of skeptical about the food because, I mean, he's coming from Louisiana to Buffalo. Buffalo has great food, don't get me wrong. I mean, he's not pulling an Eric Stryker where he thinks he can reinvent the chicken wing, but... He, you sent me a text when you got here. They get fresh seafood, like they get stuff that we don't get. But then he found Wegmans, and you, he was like a kid in a candy store.
2: I was, yeah. I, and <laughs> I told, Chris I told you,
1: to I told you, you were like, yeah, I'm gonna go to. Do you mind if I come by bring a sub from Subway? I'm like, no, I mind. You go to Wegmans for a sub.
2: <laughs> you go to Wegmans <laughs> for your subs. And speaking on that, Chris, being from my hometown of Atlanta. Or, I guess, suburb. Yeah. Just say you're from Atlanta. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. Publix is kind of the general go-to grocery sandwich. Mm -hmm. And Chris told me it was about 10 times better, so I had to try it out. Oh, and, (laughs) and
3: now you're in love. Am I right? Select words for that. Yes. I, I, opened, <laughs> I opened the fridge tonight when I came here to get a beer, and I saw about half the fridge was full of stuff from Wegmans. So I'm, Absolutely. So I'm assuming you've fallen right back into that. <laughs> you missed Wegmans, huh? And
2: it's easy because it's five minutes down the road. So.
3: <laughs> They've got everything. And now one of the most important questions I'm going to ask you tonight. Who did you miss more, me or Chris?
1: It's got to be me. I mean, we bond over hating almonds. Listening to Clay Travis and Colin Cowherd.
3: He lives here. It's got to be me. Gretzky. Gretzky, my dog. (laughs) Yes. All right. We'll call it a tie.
2: Call it a tie.
3: (laughs) All right. So I guess, Reed, now as far as your return to Buffalo, do you feel more prepared for snow this time around than you were on your first
2: visit? Absolutely. (laughs) And I was completely shocked to find out that I woke up. Uh, was it Saturday? Mm-hmm. Saturday morning or Friday? Friday. And it there was snow on the ground. <laughs> in two, it's weeks, April, man. two weeks into it's April, Two weeks into April, <laughs> it's
3: still snow season, man. Until Louisiana early... had
2: two days of winter this year. Wow. In January, and it got back up to eighty degrees.
3: <laughs> well, aren't you guys blessed? Yes. So you chose to drove to drive up here instead of flying. Now you were coming from Georgia.
2: Atlanta. Yeah,
3: I drove from Atlanta. You drove from Atlanta to Buffalo.
2: I'm assuming then that you just prefer road trips to airports. Uh, that and I also didn't want to pay a rental car bill like I did when I was here <laughs> during the season because that was pretty, pretty uh, costly. Nah. Yeah. No. Rental cars. Although are... I was able to write it off on my taxes. <laughs> it's a
3: business expense. Smart man.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
3: Now. One of the one of the questions I want to ask here: How did you hear, or where were you when you found out? I want you to describe this to me. When you found out the news that Garrison Sanborn had been released from the Buffalo Bills.
2: Uh, so this off season, I actually uh, instead of you know just working out and sitting at home uh, all afternoon, I decided to take up a part time job <clears throat> at. Uh, my chiropractor's office in Atlanta, that I've been going to for probably the better part of nine years, um, just helping them out in the office, you know, mm-hmm. kind of learning how the business works. Uh, so I was over there working one day, and uh, I, I, I usually didn't have my phone on me when I was working. So I uh, took a little break, five minute break, checked my phone. And I had about 60 text messages and an email from my granddad. And that's the first thing I saw. So uh, a lot of texts from a lot of people, mostly my family. Uh, But yeah, it was, you know, Garrison um, was nothing short of excellent to me when he was here. He taught me a lot of stuff, um, you know, certainly about snapping and how to be a professional football player, but also just about uh, how to work yourself into the league, uh, you know, how to be a pro I say you know I say it over and over again Um, he was excellent to me Uh, very nice guy wish him nothing but the best in Tampa but um, yeah you know definitely fortunate to be the uh, only guy on the roster right now
3: well I mean that's a huge opportunity for you man I mean being the only long snapper on the Buffalo Bills roster right now now I'm gonna ask you a serious question I mean Pressure is something that you've dealt with your whole career. I mean, that's long snapping. That's the nature of the beast. You're the guy that touches the ball before every, pretty much every single special teams play gets off the ground. It starts and could possibly end with you on every play. So you're used to dealing with a certain amount of pressure going into every game, every practice, every, you know, training camp, but. Now, is the pressure different knowing that you might be coming into this with the inside track on an actual NFL starting job?
2: Um, you know, I would definitely say that there's an added element there. Uh, I wouldn't call it an added pressure just because that's not how, it, you know, that's not how my mind operates, mm-hmm. so to speak. Well, it can't because if you let uh, right. pressure get to you, um, you'd be that- You You've always got to be level-headed, and that's something that's so important and something that I've stressed to myself. Um you know, over the years being at LSU and then now spending last off season and preseason with the Bills and, and playing three games, you know, the, that first preseason game that I snapped in was bigger than any game that I ever played in college simply because, you know, you're 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 living out your dream of what, you know, my dream of what I've I've dreamt about doing for years. Since I started snapping, so um, the pressure's there. It's always going to be there. I mean, it's just another thing that you have to overcome and lear, you know learn to deal with. But um, uh, definitely say, yeah. I mean, there's an added element of pressure knowing that you know I'm I'm the only one on the roster right now. Uh, but it's something I definitely think that I can that I can handle.
3: Absolutely, man.
2: Laysel, you got anything for Reed? Yeah. Well,
4: I mean, one question. And I always like to ask. I think it's a fascinating thing to, to talk to guys about. Is what's a what's like your your pregame ritual or process that you go through? Because you know, obviously, being a long snapper is kind of a different animal than really anybody else on the field. So, is there is there a certain way that you try to focus in on making sure that you do what you need to do, or do you, do you eat anything weird? Do you listen to a certain kind of music, or kind of walk walk everyone through your pregame ritual?
2: Absolutely. I was just pulling up my uh, pregame. Playlist and it's a lot of AC/DC, White Snake, Poison, Motley Crew, uh, you name it. So that's kind of what I listen to <laughs> for a pregame. <laughs> but um, you know, a lot, a lot of guys. And, I, and somebody asked me this question the you know a couple weeks ago. Um, I don't really have anything specific in terms of a pregame ritual. A lot of guys, you know, they gotta stretch their certain way, or they gotta, you know, they have to drink this or eat this before the game. And, and I kind of just, you know, I don't want to say wing it, but uh, I just kind of do my own thing, um, just very subtle. And I know what I have to do to get ready. You know, I go through my stretching. I go through my snapping drills. And uh, <clears throat> the biggest part for me is just making sure that I'm calm, collected, and I got my head screwed on straight, and I know that I've got to go out there and perform, uh, you know, 10 to 12 times a game. So uh, that's pretty much the biggest part for me is just making sure that I'm I'm, I'm cool and collected.
3: That would be the strangest part for me is being a football player, but only touching the ball a couple times a game. But knowing that the ball is inevitably, you know, when I look at some wide receivers, you go out there and you play football and your job is to block. Now I'm a guy who I, everything I ever did playing football, I never got to touch the football. (laughs) Everything I did was in conjunction with people who were trying to make plays. So when I look at a guy who, who is inevitably going to touch the ball regardless of what phase of the game we're in, that's, that's kind of a cool mindset to take into it. Like, hey, I'm going to come in here calm. I'm going to collect myself. I'm going to make sure. Because you kind of have to be level-headed. You have to. No matter what, No matter it could be a close game. It could be a blowout. You're, you have to stay level-headed, cool, calm, and collected, like the other side of the pillow.
2: Absolutely. And that's kind of something, um, you know, the big thing in LSU is the running out of the tunnel and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And, they, you know, it gets hyped up a lot. But I was kind of always the one in the back, never leading the pack. You know, I, I had to run out. You know, I obviously took it all in, and it was nothing short of fantastic uh, being there and playing there for four years. But uh, just being in front of that many fans uh, at one time, you know, cheering mm-hmm. you on, you um, yeah, you, you definitely have to stay stay calm. You have to stay
3: even-keeled. <laughs> Otherwise, it gets Absolutely. away from you. Yep. So now w- you've been throughout your first week of because uh, teams, for those of you out there who don't know this, NFL teams that have new head coaches get to start their kind of workouts. They get to start their off-season program a, a week or two earlier than every other team. So Reed was here last week. And he got to go through his very first week of practice here with the Buffalo Bills. And, Rita, i got to ask you, what was that week like? You know, getting back here in the building, get, getting to see all the guys again, get, getting to see all your coaches face-to-face again. Uh, what was the energy in the building like? I mean, I have a million questions, but why don't you try to describe it for me?
2: Yeah, well, it was good. Uh, you know, the first day on Monday, we, we showed up, you know, weighed in, uh, kind of did the whole body composition testing you know, did the physical test, you know, the conditioning test and the whole nine yards, did a workout and everything. But, uh, you know, also getting back, uh, seeing Coach Crossman again, uh, that was good, to, to, you know, to get back and see him. Uh, also see Colton and obviously meet Stephen uh, for the first time. You know, he's – Stephen Hauschka. He's Hauschka, yeah, he's, he's a great dude. Uh, e from dude, Entourage. So, yeah.
3: He does look like – for everyone who follows this podcast, I want you to Google – a picture of E from Entourage and then look at a picture of Stephen Houshka. They look almost exactly the same. I mean, that had to be cool to finally get to meet back up with these guys and get to start snapping with them again. Do, do, do you feel like it got you more in a rhythm working with them again? Even working on your own can't give you the same feeling it does, getting back in that building.
2: Right. Yeah, they definitely. Uh, and, you, and you know, there's the NFL with this new CBA. There's... A couple of odd rules. Um, you know, I can snap it to Colton, uh, you know, whether he wants to stand in his punting stance or snap it to him for a PAT in his holding stance. Uh, the only technicality really is that he can't punt it or Steven can't kick it um, after so I snap it. Point. It's, it's got to be two different, uh, you know, two different drills. It can't be the whole operation at, at one time. Right now in the offseason, you know, and, and there's ways to work around it. Um, you know, I can I, I've been snapping at Colton, uh, you know, a few days a week, The, past, you know, this week and last week. So, uh, you know, we've, we've gotten some good work in and, and getting ready for mini camp next week.
3: So what was the energy like among the players who were there? I mean, did everyone seem pretty much excited to be there? Like, did, did it seem like spirits were up or did it just seem like another day at the office?
2: Uh, definitely seemed like spirits were up. You know, from our first team meeting with Coach McDermott on Monday morning, you know, he he really brings the energy, and I think everybody can feel that. And, uh, you know, it, it, it definitely gets everybody excited. Um, so it definitely speaks to, you know, how he is as a coach, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kicking things off with a bang like that mm-hmm. on the first day of workouts. Um, but, yeah, I mean, everybody for workouts, uh, competitions, you know, even the – um, conditioning test. Everybody was competing, you know, out there running back and forth, so uh, you know, it was definitely good to be back out there with everybody and uh, get the ball rolling.
3: I mean, that was one of the things that we all see as fans. You know, you watch Sean McDermott from his interviews at the podium to how he is, you know, you watch the old tapes of him kind of walking around practices at Carolina. You can tell the guy's an intense guy. He really is. So I, I I gotta ask you, what's he like out there on the field, inside the field house?
2: Uh, well, actually, haven't gotten the uh, chance to see him out there. The coaches can't be out there right now, uh, per the CBA. Okay. You know rules. Have but, you had
3: any interaction with him?
2: Yeah, uh, met him. You know, last week uh, on the first day. Uh, you know, got to talk to him for a few minutes. Um, it was definitely good to meet him. You know, face to face. Uh, so that was that was pretty neat but uh yeah he's a great guy you know and as i said before kind of right off the bat you can tell that he really brings the energy
3: i feel like that's that's kind of his trademark is this intensity that he brings you hear him talk you see the way he coaches like i said one of my favorite things was just going back and watching some of the some of the tape that exists on him from when he was back with the panthers he's out there he's on the field he's the defensive coordinator but he's out there on the field with these guys and he's talking he's talking to each of them to trying to critique them, trying to give them help here, here, there, you know. As a head coach, I feel like some of those the guys who do that type of stuff who can't help but be hands on with the game, they're going to still be those types of coaches in the NFL. So it'll be interesting to see how your kind of you know your experience goes with them and how he turns into as a head coach. I just think it's encouraging to hear that as this whole process rolls on, he still conveys that same energy behind closed doors as he does when he's on a podium talking to reporters. Ryan, you've been sitting here very patiently. Do you have anything you want to ask,
4: Reid? I'm not really like a serious question kind of guy until camp rolls around. Let's go. What do you (laughs) Um, got?
2: That's all
4: right. (laughs) I mean, you heard the questions I asked. How about – Right now, for the guys that are on the roster, who's I guess who's the who's the funniest guy in the locker room to you?
2: Oh my, um, Shady is definitely very funny. <laughs> um, Jerry Hughes has got to be up there. Oh gosh, uh, Colby Listenbee—he's a character. Dude, Colby's, that's probably, that's Colby's probably one of my three. favorite
3: players on this roster, and he has I feel like he doesn't get a fair shake from Bills fans because they don't know who or what he is yet. But I've watched that kid play, and he can ball. He he can just flat out ball. So, you guys in the locker room, there, I assume there's a lot of camaraderie. You know, you guys obviously it's an NFL locker room. I've played football. You've played it for way longer than me, and now at a professional level. I guess one of my questions is: Do you guys, with this coaching change, does it? Do you feel like it's changed between the guys who have? kind of been there you know the, they were there when Rex was here you just got brought in now everyone's here back together do you think that it's changed the dynamic in the locker room or do you guys think that you're still the same guys all working together because I feel like that's important
2: right uh, there is definitely a little bit of a different dynamic there just because um, you know a lot of guys from last season didn't get re-signed a lot of guys new guys have been brought in uh, you know in the since free agency started but mm-hmm. Um, and also one thing that coach McDermott did was he switched, you know, our lockers are now offense, defense, offense, defense, you know, with a specialist thrown in there, but, um, that kind of gets a good mix of everybody kind of learning each other's names. Uh, well, I guess, you know, you know, their names, but Mm -hmm. learning them more personally, um, kind of creating that form of communication, uh, on a daily basis, I think has been, has been really good so far. So, whose locker are you sandwiched between? Uh, I'm on the end, and I'm next to uh, Jerry Hughes. Oh, no shit! Nice. He's been good so far. Nice guy. Woo!
3: Next to Jerry Hughes. Wow. <laughs> you got. You gotta ask him. Was that pl- Was that punt block an accident? Or, or would, <laughs> you gotta ask him for me. Ask him the question, or tell him to come on. Just tell him to come on. At the end of the, the day, report. I just like I just love the fact that you're back here, Reed. Thank you so much for coming on with us, man. And good luck to you going into this off season program. I mean, I know we're going to be touching base with you throughout the off season, just to and, and just to check up on you, see how you're doing, and ultimately, we're all pulling for you.
2: Well, I appreciate it. I, uh, you know, I'm definitely looking forward to having a good off season
3: absolutely so guys that brings us to the close of our show here but before we go there's a couple pieces of business i got to take care of first and foremost i got to let you know about the rock pile report draft show okay now we're all going to be hearing again from reed very soon because he's going to be joining us for our second annual nfl draft night podcast thursday april 27th i'm going to be throwing a draft party in my basement the, the wet bar down there consisting of less than 10 people who probably drink enough for 20. Along with a whole slew of microphones, which are going to be rolling as we all cover the first round of the NFL Draft. We're going to be talking about the Bills' picks with an array of guests, including Reed, Ferguson, LSU alumni, who can help give us some insight as to some of the guys from LSU who get picked as the draft goes on. And also, Kyle Smith from AFC East Pro's podcast. Doug Roloski. We've talked to Christian Simonelli, guest host of the PFW in Progress podcast. Travis Wingfield. A whole bunch of other guys who are going to be appearing on the show. It's going to be a great time. uh, Chris's mom. We'll call my mom. We can call my mom. She sounds hot. It should be a great time. Be sure to check it out Friday morning right after round one. And then, Lacell. Layso, why don't you help me with this one? I've been selected to appear on the Rock Sports Network Draft TV show on the second night of the draft, Friday, April twenty eighth at seven p.m. being being hosted live at Thirty Four Rush Sports Bar, at Patavia Downs Hotel Gaming Hotel Gaming Casino Center. I mean, right, why don't you tell people where they can find this online, where they can watch it on TV? I mean, you know most of the specifics.
4: I, I should <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah so um you know we, we were excited enough to have Thurman uh, at 34 rush sponsor us for last season's show they decided to re-up this year so one of the awesome things that he lets us do at, at the bar is come out and broadcast live a couple times throughout the season I actually had him on last year um, I think it was uh, right after the Seattle game so it was kind of exciting but what he lets us do is we come in, we set up, and if you haven't been to Thurman's 34 Rush, it's a perfect opportunity to come out. He's got a ton of Thurman memorabilia, a ton of Bills memorabilia. Um, so we're going to set up the first night of the draft. Uh, we're going to set up the second night of the draft. So Drew, as you mentioned, you're going to be on with us on the second night. I Hope you don't forget. I hope you're not too hungover from the from the previous nights. Uh, Hangovers have nothing on me. All right. So for those so for those listening, it's a perfect opportunity. Listen in on Friday night, or I'm, I'm sorry, on Thursday night to us live. We're going to be covering things live. Uh, Friday morning, tune into the Rock Power Report for their draft coverage because I'm not in competition with you guys, so I'll plug you all all you want <laughs> me to. And uh, Friday night, come out to Thurman's 34 Rush and check out the draft show. So we're really excited. So Friday night, or Thursday night, sorry, I keep getting the two days mixed up. Thursday night, we got a great lineup. We've got um, from the hashtag sports, we've got Paul Wineski, Mario Granada, from 1055, the team out in Rochester. We've got Spencer German uh, who hosts their show out there and we've got Nate Geary from WGR coming out on Thursday night as well. So we're really excited about that (laughs) Friday night. We've got probably don't tell the other guys, but probably a better lineup Friday night. Uh, We've got drew. Obviously you're going to be joining us. We've got the numb bills fans podcast guys, Adam and Dave are both going to be out there. We're going to have Nate again is going to be joining us. Uh, And, I feel like I'm forgetting somebody on Friday, but I don't think that I am. I think I'll think i be honest. I'll be honest. What,
3: what it is is that you're forgetting to count me twice. I mean, literally. Yes,
4: yes that's what it is. I'm
3: going to carry this show. And to be honest, you guys needed me because someone has to pretty that group up.
4: That's right. I mean, you know, someone we're, we're has to of, pretty
3: that group up.
4: <laughs> hey, you know, I don't know, though. If you tune in Thursday night, Mario's got that hair, man. It just sets it off. Guys,
3: know, guys, ultimately, Friday night, April 28th, I'm telling you, come out to Batavia Downs, Thurman's 34 Rush Sports Bar. Come check out the draft show. Chris and I are both going to be there. We're going to be drinking. I'm going to be on TV talking about the draft. And afterwards, we're going to hang out. I'm going to be here to talk draft and sports with whoever shows up. So if some of you guys want to come out, have a good time. I mean, mean, 34 Rush is going to be featuring food and drink specials, prize giveaways. I mean, we're talking hotel packages, T-shirts, swag, even gear signed by Thurman Thomas. Okay? That's, That's all you need to know.
4: That's worth the price of admission, it's, and you don't need, to, you don't need free, to buy anything. To
3: it's a outside. free draft party. You're going to get prizes. There's going to be stuff flying around. You should come out to Batavia Downs. Support Chris and I as I sit there on TV and bump my gums for about an hour or two hours. And then afterwards, I'll come out, and I'll drink, and I'll shake hands, and we'll talk about the NFL draft. So why don't you come out, those of you who are listening here in the Buffalo area, come out to Batavia Downs on Friday, April 28th, and check out the draft party.
1: I'll be at the the bar the whole time. If I'm not there, I'm probably in the bathroom rolling up.
3: (laughs) Because he drinks like a girl. Folks, we've run out of time. That's Reed Ferguson. Thank you for showing up. That's Ryan Laisel from The Huddle TV Show on Rock Sports Network. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and I'm Drew Gear. and this has been The Rock Pile Report.